Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. This episode is brought to us by Mike the Strongman. Are you tired of getting your training and nutrition advice from someone with only a weekend certification? Then perhaps it's time to turn to someone with over 15 years of research-based experience. Mike the Strongman can help you with all your training and nutrition needs. Mike has a proven track record of getting results with his clients. Visit MikeTheStrongMan.com for more information or email Mike at MikeTheStrongMan at gmail.com if you're ready to take your performance to the next level. This episode is also brought to us by the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center. The Healthiest You Chiropractic Center in Strongsville, Ohio is dedicated to giving their patient community the highest level of healthcare. Their doctors have been trained on the newest and most innovative styles of chiropractic and rehabilitative treatments. From back pain to ankle strains, the Healthiest You has remedies for a variety of injuries. Are you looking to perform better in life and activity? Their team takes a wellness-based approach on health rather than only focusing on symptoms such as pain. Call 440-238-3338 or email them at thychiro, that's T-H-Y-C-H-I-R-O, at gmail.com for questions about becoming a patient. Now is a better time than ever to become the healthiest you. And last but not least, this episode is brought to us by CrossFit Strongsville. CrossFit Strongsville is a place where everyday people become heroes every day. Through qualified coaching, challenging yet modifiable exercise programming, and a supportive community unlike any other, members find a way to break through personal barriers physically, mentally, and emotionally. No matter what level you're at, from the very beginner to the elite, you'll find that you receive great service from the moment you walk through the door, and we promise it will be one of the best hours of your day. Check out CrossFitStrongsville.com for more information and to sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with the owner, a 12-year veteran of the fitness and therapy fields. Okay, folks, we have back with us today Kirk Putterball. The last time Kirk was on the show, he was with his wife, Sam, talking about how they met and their fitness journey together. And Kirk came back on the podcast to talk about homebrewing his own beer. Kirk has been making his own beer for a couple of years. He likes to experiment with different types of beer and interesting ingredients. I've gotten the chance to sample a handful of his different beers, and every one of his beers that I've gotten to try has been excellent. Kirk is also very active in the local home brewer scene. He even competes in local home brewing contests where he submits his beers to be judged by anonymous judges so he can see if he needs to change any of his recipes. I found it all very interesting, and I hope that you do too. So sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hess, and today we have back with us Kirk Putterball. Kirk, how are we doing? All right, how about you? Doing good. So last time, uh, Kirk and his wife, Sam, were on, and we talked a little bit about their journey and into health and fitness and kind of things that they've done with their with their marriage in the last few years and stuff, and just kind of generally talked about the two of you guys, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, today, we're going to sit down with Kirk and talk about beer. Now, Kirk brews his own beer, and you've even entered some contests and stuff, am I correct? 
uh, entered, ran, all kinds of stuff. Helped run. I wouldn't say I actually ran it. Okay, so it's safe to say you're pretty them. involved mm-hmm. in the home brewing kind of area. It's, it's not just like, oh, every once in a while you brew your own beer and you might have it for a party or something. You're a little bit more serious into it. Than right. That. I'm pretty active in the whole Cleveland area home brewing community. Uh, I know a bunch of people, a bunch of brewers, uh, all kinds of neat stuff. Very and- cool. So I guess to get started kind of here in the beginning, we are sitting down and we're sipping on one of your beers. What do we have here in front of us? I call this sweet potato pie. It is a uh, Belgian brown type and i made it with sweet potatoes okay so and vanilla beans too and sat for a while i uh i have it on uh tap at home and uh it's 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 kind of like a belgian brown abbey style okay now how did you get started brewing your own beer well this was kind of a uh uh, on a whim purchase uh, at Whole Foods, they were selling these one-gallon kits, Brooklyn Brewery. There's, there's a whole bunch of different kits out there. I like the Brooklyn one. It has uh, It's all whole grain to start with, but uh, we we bought it, uh, took it back to my apartment. I was, I was still living at my apartment then, and uh, about a week or two later, just followed the directions, uh, mashed the grain, fermented it, and within a couple weeks... Actually got something that tasted pretty good, and I've been hooked ever since. Nice. Now, were you interested in it beforehand, or is it literally you just went to the store, you saw it, and you thought, you know what, that looks like fun. I'm going to make my own. This this is going to be a good time. It was definitely something I wanted to try, but, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to get into a new hobby. It's just that kit was right there. It was a uh, style I liked. It was a, uh, it, w- it was coffee and donut stout, I think, was the <laughs> kit. And... I just thought, all right, let's do it. Sam was there. She documented the whole thing, had laughs, and uh, yeah, just went through. You're just kind of hooked ever since. Yep. Rest is history, as they say. (laughs) So how long have you been brewing your own beer? Uh, It's been about six years now. Six years, yeah. It was uh, December that my, uh, it was on a December that I got my first batch out. Okay. And from there, it uh, more equipment, uh, more fermenters. Uh, I was living in about a 500-square-foot apartment at the time. Had a nice walk-in closet that was meant for clothes, and it turned into a whole fermentorium. So <laughs> so this isn't something you just do in the kitchen, then? Oh, uh, I, I do. it. I do make it in the kitchen. I'm one of the oddballs. A lot of people get a nice big... Uh, turkey burner but i still do it on my kitchen and uh well when the beer's fermenting i gotta put it somewhere and i think i was doing every week to every other week at that point so they a lot of buckets a lot of five gallon plastic buckets so you're making a new batch every two weeks nowadays uh I'm, i'm lucky if i get uh one a month just just because it moves a little slower nowadays i've not working at the same company with you anymore where I just bring it in all the time. So <laughs> You're not going through it as fast, huh? Not definitely not going through <laughs> it as fast. So kind of walk me through the basic process of how it is that you actually make beer. Well, to start with, uh, you take your your special brew water. They call it liquor. It, but it's just water. Uh, you can treat the uh, water to with certain... Uh, certain minerals to 
gave it certain characteristics. It's, uh, I mean, water chemistry is one of those big things in brewing, but uh, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. So next you get it to a certain temperature and you add your cracked grains, your uh, barley, uh, wheat, So there's a corn. bunch of different things you can use, Absolutely. right? So you kind of just have to pick what style of beer you're looking for, right? It's always going to have some form of barley in there, but uh, depending on the style, you can have wheat, it can have rye, uh, maize is good for some. Uh, there's a lot of uh, experimental types out there with spelt, triticales, and another upcoming grain. So it's you you take these grains and you hold them at a certain temperature to allow enzymatic activity to occur. Uh, usually for the conversion of heavy starches into short chain sugars, it's it's in the 140, 148 to uh, 156 degree range. Okay, now so you're you're putting these in the water mm-hmm. and you're heating them up together, correct? The uh, the the water should be at the temperature you're looking to infuse with. Actually, a little higher because when you add your room temperature, it's going to lower. Grain. It. So you kind of you bring the water up to temperature you need, then then mm-hmm. you add your grain. Right. Gotcha. And there are different levels depending on how on your grains and what kind you use. There's a protein rest in the 130s, but your main starch to sugar conversion is in the 148 to 156 range. Okay. And within that range, it actually makes a huge difference in the body of your beer. If you want a light body, like, say, a Pilsner, you would keep it at that 148. If you want a thick, heavy stout, 156. It it makes a huge difference in the character. Interesting. And then from there, you have to get that uh, grain liquid. It's called wort. You need to get that out of there. You need to... Uh, find some way to filter that, and you take that collected wort, you throw that into back into a pot, and then you boil it, usually about an hour, and that's when you start adding your hops and anything else you want to add in there, depending on how crazy you want to get. And then finally, you chill it as quickly as possible. Beer likes to oxidize. Okay. So if you just let it sit, you're probably going to get something that tastes like stale cardboard. So probably you... not a good flavor you're looking for in beer. Well, we haven't talked about those crazy Belgians yet, but uh, you get that cooled down as quickly as possible, and then you add your yeast, oxygenate, and then seal it up with an airlock so that when your yeast starts uh, crapping out CO2, Along with alcohol, there's some place for it to go. Otherwise, you just get an explosion. And I've had a few of those. You don't want <laughs> to deal with that. No, it doesn't sound like a very fun thing to deal with. Yeah, it took me months to uh, find all the glass. <laughs> just glad well, a cat wasn't injured. Was that, was that cooking in a big carboy? Uh, it was uh, It was a one-gallon. Okay. It was a one-gallon uh, jug. jug, yeah. It just kind of... Sitting in there, I added yeast. I didn't think that thing would come back to life at all. Well, it came to life all over the laundry room. <laughs> so that, that's about the basic process. There's uh, all kinds of exceptions here and there, but uh, that about 95% of the time, you're going to follow all of those steps. Okay. So when you started making your beer, you just you picked up a kit. 
It had all the stuff you need in it. So you just you made whatever beer that was. Right. Now, I assume there's different recipes for different kinds of beer, or is this all just experimentation and you just kind of figure most of it out as you go? There are There's a lot of objectivity to the process with different styles are going to call for certain types of grains. And with barley, there's the whole malting process where... You can roast it, you can kiln it, you can do all kinds of stuff to make certain types of malts. So let's say you have a, uh, it's commonly called commonly called uh, chocolate malt. It's grain that, it, that, it's barley that has been roasted to where it starts turning black and it adds a real thick coffee-like flavor to your beer. Okay. But at the same time, you take that barley, you kiln it. It uh, it cracks open. You you have a crystal malt where it adds a little more body, head reten- some head retention, and uh, it it's generally sweeter. There's no roast to it, so it's uh, it it, it comes you know it comes from barley, but uh, the malting process can put it in all kinds of different directions. All right. But to go back to what you said, if, if say you have a porter or a stout, you would want that dark roasty grain in there if you have like a czech pilsner you have you you're going to want to use a uh, basic grain basic barley that's just been uh, malted and processed usually it's uh usually pilsner malt that's a kind of a specialty over in europe but uh yeah grain um great grain what (laughs) It's just it's just hard to think of everything you can do. You no, know? no, it's I mean, just, the, yeah. with with like anything else, there's so many different ways you can go. You can try different things. You can do this. You can do that. You can make hybrids. You can pretty much do anything. But I was like, I know what I've looked into a little bit of winemaking is a hobby that I'd like to get into a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much like they give you a recipe. And you right. open up the book and you look, hey, it's this many pounds of fruit. It's this many... You know, gallons of water. It's, it's this much this, this much that. All these little things that you need here and there. It, it kind of just spells it all out. And you might right. differ a little bit, like where it might call for, you know, a pound and a half of blueberries. You might add two pounds because it's going to make a little bit better body. It's going to you know, look a little bit better in the glass or mm-hmm. who, who knows. It doesn't matter. Right. But essentially, you're not really deviating very much from it. Whereas with beer, it seems like it's a lot more experimentation mm-hmm. as you're trying to figure things out like out how they all work yeah so you have a german hefeweizen you're going to go you're going to go uh, heavy on the wheat and uh lighter on the barley and that's yeah you know, that's just important to the style you can adjust that a little bit yeah, to suit your yeah. liking right throw in uh throw in one of those crystal or caramel grains for the car- for color and character if you want to but your your german hefeweizen is going to be Wheat and barley, mostly wheat. Okay. So yeah, there's there's some there's some objectivity, but there's a lot of room as well, depending on how you like it. Fair enough. So when you're making all these different beers, like right now you said you make like one a month, whereas before you're making like one every two weeks or something. So usually a couple a month. Mm-hmm. Like, are you always making the same kind of beers? Are you trying different things, or what? What are you trying to do with when you're making beer? I like to vary things a little. Uh, I've got. Uh, my my next uh, plan is to do a New England IPA. I don't really do hoppy beers that much. They're a little uh, for, for me. They're a little harder to come out right. 
Uh, I do a lot of big multi, uh, actually a lot of high I- ABV stuff. Now what's do- ABV for those who don't know? Alcohol by volume. Okay. So that just means more, uh, more grain sugar. Essentially, it's just how strong you know exactly. the beer is itself, right? Now, what what's a normal beer? Uh, about usually four or five percent for your standards. Uh, you know, say say your Budweiser or or Dortmunder for you craft fans. So, um, what's the kind of like ABV that you make in your beers? I usually go nine's about my average. Okay, so I, they're quite a bit stronger than the average. It's I, not. It's not like it's six. <laughs> right. I got got an eighteen percenter that's uh, kind of chilling out. At least I hope to get it to eighteen percent. I might have to add a little more sugar if it's not quite there yet. <laughs> you might need some higher yielding yeast for that. Absolutely, and believe me, when we get to yeast, there's uh, there's a whole bunch of them. But uh, most people, I probably don't understand that. They probably think that yeast is yeast, and it's like, no, it's it's very different. And brewer's yeast is very different than the stuff you're using to to cook with. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's two real distinct types. There's your ale yeast and your lager yeast. The ale yeast ferments on the top, uh, good for higher temperature. Your lager yeast ferments on the bottom of the uh, on the bottom of the wort, good for or it likes to ferment at much lower temperatures. And then within that, there are strains. So you have all these yeasts that have been subject to certain environments. They they put out different byproducts. Like in, here in America, we do we do a lot with uh, the very neutral yeast. They don't add a lot of character. In fact, uh, one of one of the biggest strains came from uh, Sierra Nevada. They call it Chico yeast. But Chico yeast. Yeah, it's uh, they're they're from Chico, California, but uh, it's a very neutral yeast. Doesn't add much flavor. Just powers right through. Okay. eats everything it can. And then and in the whole process, the yeast, the yeast, the yeast is eating the sugar, and the byproduct is CO two and alcohol. Correct. And also some some organic compounds. Okay. So you go across the pond. You go to say Belgium. Their yeast will put out a lot of spice characters. Really? Mm-hmm. Just from the kind of yeast that they're using. Right. It's, it's the same, you know, it's the same species. It's just a different strain. So so even though you could use the exact same thing here, it wouldn't have the same spice notes as it would over there. Well, well, that's the thing. The uh, nowadays yeasts are uh, so widespread and uh, sold. You you could buy you could buy a Belgian yeast. No but you'd problem. have to buy that specific exactly. strain of yeast because otherwise it wouldn't come out with the exact same kind of notes in the in the flavor of the alcohol later. Right. If you want a if you want a lot of spice and some banana, you're going to want the Chimay strain from Belgium, and 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 then you even have Hefeweizen yeast. A uh, good Bavarian Hefeweizen has a lot of that clove and banana flavor to it also, and it's just something that yeast produces as it's fermenting. Okay. It's, uh, there, there's Saisons. I, I actually brew a lot of those too because it's a good, now, easy Now, beer. what's a Saison? Uh, Belgian, French farm farmhouse style. Uh, you can throw any amount of garbage in there, any, uh, any grains you want. It'll come out tasting good. Okay. And it's a very, uh, very aggressive, very aggressive yeast. It'll uh, chew through anything, leave you with a dry beer. All right. 
The saison seems to be pretty popular in the fall, I think. Mm-hmm. It's usually what you what uh, traditionally they gave to the farm workers for harvest. Okay, so it'd be like leftover, you know, fruits or grains or whatever was mm-hmm. left over. Then, okay, we're going to use this. We're just going to make some beer, and this is what comes out at the end of the year, right? Right. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And I know, like a lot of times, I like uh, Oktoberfest beers. Again, fall mm-hmm. is my favorite time of year. Here in Ohio. Marzins, they call them because they uh, have those sitting since March. Because I think that was yeah. the whole idea that it's, it's like a lager. It's quick to make. They make them with you know, the stuff that they've had throughout the season. Then come fall, mm-hmm. and they pull the leftover grains or what have you. And then, boom, they can make some beer out of it. It's got the flavors of the season or whatever right. was, was there that year. And, and there, there's your Oktoberfest. Yeah, so that- it's kind of cool to, to see that cycles in life kind of go around well so with cycles on the things absolutely yeah. and you see that with uh, what's on the shelf you know here in the middle of uh actually summer just began but here in the middle of uh warm summer season you see a lot of lighter beers yeah. a lot of wheats yeah because you don't want something mm-hmm. too heavy when you're sitting outside and you're hot and you're sweaty right you want something light and crisp it's going to refresh you mm-hmm and then in the middle of winter, oh, there's your, uh, there are all your Christmas spice bombs and uh, heavy stouts and yeah. all kinds of stuff. They're cold. And they're going to warm you up. They're going to taste good. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's it's pretty interesting. But a lot of people don't think about beer that way because I mean I hate to say it, but a lot of people don't quite have a good palate for beer. Maybe they still drink Budweiser, Coors Light, Miller, like some of those beers that just they all taste the same to me. I don't really notice a difference. But when I have craft brews, especially all the seasonal ones. You can really taste the difference of the different seasons and the types and what's going on. Now, I tend to reach for more ales and stuff like and IPAs and things like that. I don't get Absolutely. much into the stouts. I porters a little bit here and there, but they're just not my favorite. Mm-hmm. So I like all the winter spiced beers and those kind of things, Oktoberfests, and I, I like all that kind of stuff. So nor- normally it's just like, okay, what's in season for beer? Like, oh, it's it's coming into spring, so you know Conway's Irish Ale is coming out, right? And we, we just got done with all of our Christmas sale, and the summer is coming out. What do I normally drink in the summer? I used to drink a lot of Sam Adams summer ale, but mm-hmm. it hasn't tasted the same the last couple of years. It tastes a little weird to me. I've, I've never really been a Sam Adams drinker. And I think my, think my yeah. palate's just changing. I think I'm just I'm liking more like stronger beers. I'm getting more IPAs, honestly, recently. They're they're absolutely an acquired taste, but when when you acquire it, just takes off. I and mean, you just when you once you have, when you have a fresh juice. one right out of the tap, oh, it's so good. Absolutely. And there's some of the new ones now where they're doing like orange IPAs and pineapple IPAs, and some of those are bloody delicious. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah, IPAs anymore. I always check for that uh, for that birth date on them. Yeah, those those do spoil pretty quickly yep. for people who don't know. I guess maybe that's a good thing to get into is. What's kind of a good shelf life for beer that you can expect out of a bottle or a can? Depends on the style. You have a light style or an IPA that's very hop heavy. A couple months, you have. Are we talking like two, three months? Or are we talking like four or five? Depending on how it's packaged, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really stretch an IPA past two, three months. Okay, so it, you want to get those quickly. So if absolutely. you're going to buy one at the store, check it. Make mm-hmm. sure it's still fresh. If it is, get home and drink it soon. Or if it's just expiring, chances are it's probably still good. Go home, drink it right away. Absolutely. Okay. If you got something like a big Belgian or a barley wine, wheat wine, stout, uh, you just you could just kind of forget about it for a while and come back. And it's still going to be good? Mm. One of the best beers I ever had was a Thomas Hardy ale that was 10 years old. 
So it, so it aged fine. It didn't have any. It didn't skunk or anything. Because nope. yeah. you normally hear that about a beer, like it'll it'll skunk. It'll mm-hmm. kind of go bad. And what happens when it goes bad? Well, skunking is uh is a particular case of too much sunlight getting it, too much light in general getting into the bottle and reacting with all the hop oils inside. Okay. Uh, so that's that's more of a problem with beers that are in clear or green bottles. So that's why your Heineken can sometimes taste a little funky is because of that. I mean, let's be honest. There's not many good beers that come out of a clear or a green bottle. A lot right. of them have very dark bottles, mm-hmm. very big labels. They have tall cardboard, you know, um, six-pack holder containers. Maybe I'm going to call it a darn thing. Yeah. Call it a six-pack holster. I don't know. <laughs> or, 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 or the uh, once-in-future method of choice, the can. Cans are back in a big way now. Yeah, a lot of local breweries are getting um, companies to come by with vans and trucks and stuff, and they're they're mm-hmm. canning beer, and apparently they last longer because no light gets in, no air can go, sealed it's, better too. Yeah. You you get a you can sometimes get a little leakage with your cap. It it'll affect the beer. And I can remember being back a handful of years ago when I was still getting used to beer. I was more of a whiskey drinker when I first turned 21 because mm-hmm. the father-in-law was a whiskey drinker, so we were always drinking a lot of whiskey and Cokes. Right. That's just kind of what I got used to. And I drank a lot of rum and Cokes as well. A little Captain Morgan's never hurt anybody. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh, when I said, once I started getting into beer, I didn't quite have a palate for it. And everybody's trying to talk me into buying like Sam Adams and stuff. And, and I go to the store and it's like $9 for a six-pack. I look at a 12-pack of Miller Lite is you know, 10 bucks. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to buy that. It's a dollar more. Why wouldn't I do that? I get more beer. This is great. And I, yeah, I tell you what, the, the market's kind of getting a little crazy right now. A lot of beer prices are just kind of go, going up a little higher than it should. It, the market will it's, correct, yeah. though, because people will stop paying and they'll buy other things. That's just kind of how that works. Exactly. But, but I can remember like having the Miller Lite and re- realizing like this just isn't good beer. And once mm-hmm. I started drinking craft beer, I, I realized like it's so much better. But I can distinctly remember having a beer out of a can and thinking, this doesn't taste right. This is weird. I want it out of a bottle. My good beers come out of a bottle. My Sam Adams, my Great Lakes, all these you know, micro brews that are still pretty big around here, but they're still, they're still micro brew, not owned by the two big comp- uh, corporations that own like pretty mm-hmm. much 90% of all the beer that's in the store. But I can remember thinking that, you know, this just, it tastes cheap. It doesn't taste like a real beer. I didn't want it out of a bottle, but right. now it really is going the other way and all the good beers are pretty much in cans. I, I think everybody's, uh, everybody decided that, oh wait, it's not cans that make the beer bad it's just bad beer in oh can. it's the bad beer that makes yeah. the beer bad that's a shocker <laughs> oh shit who would have thunk <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah the uh yeah canning's all the rage now and they uh, will last longer than bottles absolutely right? okay but uh i guess as far as the still the still same kind of rules apply like with the ipas you still want to have them in a couple months absolutely if they're like the stouts and porters and stuff you can kind of let those go and they'll stay good in the fridge just no big deal now generally that's where i store my beer in a cold dark place i know some people like a little bit warmer Mm -hmm. i know some beer like i know a lot of good uh companies now they're putting the temperature you're supposed to have the beer at on the bottle absolutely so that you get all the flavors of the beer, where a lot of people, they like their beer super cold, so they don't actually taste the beer, because they don't like beer. Right. Yeah. It's just, okay, people, just you know, drink your umbrella drinks, like <laughs> drink your pina coladas, like we're all good. You don't have to have beer if you don't like beer. It's no big deal. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, too, much, too cold will numb your palate, and then you can't really taste it. It's uh, 
you definitely want a good 55 degrees for a big flavorful beer. And even uh, even even a lager is benefited, I think, by 55 if you like the taste of beer. Yeah. It's uh but the uh but usually 55 is generally where where they like to uh tell you to or tell you to serve it. Now, when you tap a beer like a like a keg at a bar or something, can they change the temperature? Of those, can they set those to whatever the beer needs, or are they all just kind of thrown back in a cooler somewhere, and it, it's all just kind of like a general temperature? Most of the times, it is just thrown in the cooler. You don't really get the individual control. It, it, you know, most bars, it's they're not working with a very complicated setup. Yeah. And even then, I don't see how even a fancier bar could accurately or could accurately do that i just if i get a beer that comes out too cold i just put my hands around the glass and and warm it up a little bit exactly and within about 15 minutes you know i'm usually not in a hurry it'll uh it'll start tasting the way it should (laughs) i hate to say but a lot of bars are probably more on mass consumption than they are the enjoyment of the actual beer oh absolutely it's just hey let's get away tanked Mm -hmm. (laughs) because then we we make more money yeah yeah, pretty much it. Just uh, all right. You know what? I'll sell you this beer for ten bucks. It's way too cold, but uh, yeah, what? chug it. Order two. <laughs> Double fist that mm-hmm. thing. Got kids to feed. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you know exchanging your your money to for yeah. uh, goods and services that you're enjoying. As long as you're liking the beer and you're having a good time, who cares? So, how did you get into the competitions and stuff? Have you just been brewing at home and you're doing all that kind of stuff if you normally you just you're gonna hang out to hand it out to friends and family or have parties and kind of get rid of it that way so how'd you get into the whole competition scene i uh i think it started back uh there every every year first uh saturday in may is big brew day and i went to an event with a friend of mine a mutual friend that i was able to reconnect with through beer and uh I managed to meet up with the club at some point. I started showing up to meetings. What club? Little Mountain Homebrewers Association, which I've I am now president of for the third year. And if I have my way, the last year. <laughs> so you're not looking to be president anymore, huh? No. Is it I'm, a big time commitment for you, or I wouldn't say it's a huge time commitment, but it's certainly it, there. There are times where it's kind of inconvenient, or you don't want to deal with the personality conflicts. Because uh, I hate to say it, that's kind of how it goes with everything, Kurt. Yeah, <laughs> you can't get away from it. It's, it's not just your home brewers association. Oh, absolutely not. But uh, fandom tends to bring out the worst in people. So you know, you have Star Wars fans, you have kids cartoon fans, you have beer fans. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you find this uh, club when you were? like looking around Did you just stumble upon it they were uh I, I think where i was at they were handing out flyers recruiting, okay. wearing t-shirts and... so they, were, they were trying to get awareness out for their club and get people to join it and right. participate and kind of build up i guess the home brewers mm-hmm. you know scene i guess in yeah. northeast ohio right yeah at the heart of it all you're people who get together to make beer and enjoy it and and actually, to go back to what you were asking about competitions, they they were running a competition every year. It's actually accredited by the uh, American Homebrewers Association, 
and follows the standards of the BJCP, the Brew Judge Certification Program. Okay. So that's uh, it, it. It's a it's a legitimate club. There's there's prizes, medals, all kinds of stuff. For us, it serves as a pretty good fundraiser. And uh, yeah, uh, if you want to talk about uh, how judging works, it's uh, yeah, let's, or how how these work. Yeah, let's let's get into that because I don't think there's a lot of people who understand exactly mm-hmm. what all is really involved with something like this. I think mean, a lot of people, if they find out that they brew their own beer, make their own wine, or do any of that kind of stuff, like, oh, well, they just, you know, drink it themselves, or they might, you know, like I said, have big parties and have friends and family over and get rid of it that way, mm-hmm. no big deal, but they probably don't think about actually doing it to compete and going to competitions and having it be judged by somebody else, so kind of explain how that whole system works. Uh, you drop off beer at a certain point, and uh, these judges, they are, many of them are accredited, although you, you can get some novices in there too to work with these accredited judges but you got to learn some way absolutely but there are objective standards for each style uh say an english porter is going to you're going to look for that roast you're going to look for that certain hop character a little bit of that east character your belgian your belgian saison it's going to probably conform pretty closely to uh, Cezanne Dupont, I think that's the template that they that they built the uh, um, the, the the style standards on. So each each style has it it, it has a set of uh, flavors and body and color and all kinds of other things they check off for. So that's uh, yeah that's that's for people who that way there's a little bit of wiggle room for adding your own personal touch but there's a whole list of what they're going to look for so that is uh that's one school of brewing and then there's the other school of brewing who's just like hey, fuck that i do what i want <laughs> and there's something to be said for that as well absolutely it, it you're a good brewer if you can uh if you can reproduce a style and uh make it one of the best but you know what you're also a good brewer if you can Make a beer that everybody loves that has absolutely nothing to do with any of it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all about drinking it and enjoying it. So as long as you're liking it, absolutely, what does it matter? And that's something that people lose sight on. It you know, it doesn't have to be the best beer in the world if it just it tastes all right. And you're having a good time. It's still good beer. Yeah, it's, I mean, beer is meant to be enjoyed, you know, around other people. It's supposed to be like a social thing. That's kind of the idea of it. Is well, let's let's go out. Let's have a couple of drinks. Let's mm-hmm. <sighs> let's take a breather from the world. Let's just chill. Let's talk. Right. Let's have some fun. It's it's kind of the idea. It's it's not something where you're gonna be super hyped up and hyper mobile. Let's go. Okay, we gotta get stuff done. Let's go, 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 go. Right. Like, that's not the idea. Like it's time to chill and relax and just have some fun. Yeah, it's a little, little, people get a little too studious with it. You know, they're sitting there analyzing it, breaking it down, just dissecting everything about it. it you're at a bar, dude. What are you doing with your pad and pen out? <laughs> Just drink the damn beer and order another one. Do you? And, and you know what? There is something to be said for understanding and appreciating. So I'm not going to. I'm, I'm not going to. It's like anything else. Yeah. Some of that is good, but it can be taken way too far. Absolutely. And probably it's taken way too far, far too often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Judges are uh, judges are a hard group, but they're uh, they they tend to be knowledgeable, agreeable people. Uh, 
part of the whole competition thing is you're getting feedback. So if you have a good judge, they're going to give you a whole score sheet telling you what, you know, what's in there, what's wrong with it. And let me tell you about competitions. I don't know if it's the wait period from when you drop off the beer till when it's actually judged, but now, you get I mean, a lot of bad ones. Is it like a big thing where you're sitting down at this big convention and they're walking around these different booths and, and, you, and they, they come to yours and they try your beer? Is it like that? Or you just you literally drop off a couple of bottles somewhere and they go through it whenever they feel like it and they call you later? How does the whole thing work? I mean, uh, It's usually a day, sometimes more, depending on the size. You get your group of judges sitting in a uh, in a large area. We have it in the party room at Willoughby Brewing Company. But these are judges who have signed up and uh, volunteers who come in. Uh, they get they get a bottle that they uh, they open. They look at it, look for color, head retention. You know, just gauging what's appropriate. Then they smell, taste, and write down their comments as based on a 50 point system. Okay. So, so they, they just get a bottle of your beer, each of the judges, mm-hmm. and they're going to pour it out to probably a glass to see what it looks like right. and everything like that. Small clear tasting glass. Exactly. And it's, it's meant to be, it's, it's meant to be completely anonymous because these judges enter their beer too. You don't want them scoring, giving special treatment to theirs or their friends. And you, the uh, yeah, they go through, and if if it's uh, if it's a really good beer, you can get first, second, third place, and and if you uh, in most cases you bring two bottles. If if it's good enough to go to the best of show around, they open that second bottle when they do that uh, best of show tasting. Okay, but it's uh, it, it's kind of fascinating to watch. Your numerical score does not necessarily dictate your place. What do you mean by that? You might you might have a beer that's about a thirty six, score a thirty six. The one below you scores a thirty five, but maybe that thirty five just left a better impression on them. They can, you know, they can make that their first place. So it's not even so much about the score itself; is it about what the judges feel is the best beer? Right. Okay. So the, the scoring is something to help you more, uh, so to speak. To Mm-hmm. to just maybe improve your recipe or change right. whatever it is that you're doing with your beer to kind of tweak it a little mm-hmm. bit. But then they just kind of decide like what looks best, tastes best, smells best, right. all that kind of stuff for the actual better beer. And it's, and it's not like school grading. If you get a 25 out of 50, that means you just made a, you made a decent beer that maybe not, not too style or, you know, maybe you got a flaw in there. That's, it's workable. So yeah, it's fifty percent is still is still a pretty solid drinkable beer. Okay. It's when you get into thirty that oh damn this is good for and forties is like holy shit this is good. So forty seeing them in the forties you you see a bunch of them but it's it's pretty rare. Now how many people um, enter their beers in something like this? Depend- Obviously it all depends right. on the the competition but let's say the one you guys run for your association. Like how many people is it? Like twenty people? Is it a hundred people? Is it four hundred people? Uh, we uh, we've been capping at about two hundred entries. Wow. The past couple of years, that's actually pretty small. But uh, seems, it seems like a lot of people. But it, it's not it's not uh, two hundred people though. It's uh, a bunch of people will enter multiple. You'll you'll see people bring any somebody will bring in one. Somebody will bring in eight. Okay. So it's uh, I'd say there's probably a good thirty to forty. 
people okay entering and then just different types and styles and everything else mm-hmm. now are there are there different categories like is there like a lager category and a pilsner category oh, an ipa category so you're competing against other people's different beers or is it just overall like boom this is the best one period uh there's a by category which is like which is like that it's up to the coordinator's discretion if if you have an obscure style and somebody only enters one, you're not just going to give that guy a first place medal. Of and course not. You're going to lump it in with something related and create a broader category out of that. So that for, you have that by category, first, second, third, and then there's the best of show, which ha- also has the first, second, third. Sometimes honorable mention, too, because there are... If, if you're in the best of show round, odds are you're pretty damn good. Yeah, most likely. Yeah. So what are some beers that you entered in that did uh, better than you expected? Maybe what are some that you entered in that didn't do as well as you had hoped? I actually got a first place once for Imperial Stout. Uh, First place category. I don't know how far it got in best of show, but I guess it got pretty far. And then I had a barley wine that was just absolutely... Actually, no, I think my biggest upset was uh, I worked really hard on a Scottish Wee Heavy, and the score sheets just absolutely eviscerated it. Really? Yeah. I, I've had your Scottish Wee Heavy, and it was pretty bloody delicious. Uh, apparently, it was bl- uh, boring and lifeless. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got somebody, and they were grumpy. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Um, I, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna make too much out of it. I, you know, when this does get posted, I would like to plug it if I if I may. Absolutely, yeah. So, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna keep it there. I'm, I, I uh, know who the judges are, and they are very good judges. So I, I have no grudge. It just didn't do as well as you wanted. Yeah, that kind of stuff happens, man. That's part of life. Yeah, I, I, you know, I I complain about uh, the beer, about uh, all these beer geeks, but you know, even I'm guilty of it. It happens. You know, you work hard on something, it just falls short of expectations. You just it happens. Absolutely. Yep. So but, what what are some of the crazier ones maybe you've made for one of these? Uh, my 18% uh, Jamaican. It came out of uh, a couple of years ago with uh, when Ohio just completely uh, took uh, took down the uh, ABV limit. So now there's no limit. I, I uh, rooted around the concept of legalize it, man. <laughs> so it's Jamaican because it's uh it, I have plantain, coconut, allspice and uh, molasses in there. I tried to get those flavors and I thought, you know what? This this will make for a fun experiment. I've pushed beers close to 18 before. Well, I finally got that one to 18 and it was actually pretty good. Nice. So that was the last time I made it. I've got another one right now that seems to be doing pretty well. I haven't tasted it yet. I haven't added the uh, ingredients to the secondary yet. Okay. I can remember you saying something about a beer called Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Oh, yeah. Tell me the story about that. So I like to uh, enter Iron Brewer every year. I've, I've entered for the past two years. It's Is that run, another competition? It, uh, kind of. It's not BJCP or anything. It's it's run by the this group called the Home Bros. They're in the, kind of the Ohio City area. And uh, it's actually the uh, head brewer at Hansa who who runs it. He uh, he comes up with five mystery ingredients, 
you show up to the brew shop with uh, with all of your equipment ready to go, and, and you bring a partner too, and you pick this mystery ingredient. So that year, uh, I, we pulled flaming hot Cheetos, my group. <laughs> so you just randomly picked it. It was uh, one of five. It was it, it pulled it out of a hat. It was <laughs> so you didn't choose this. It was just right. close your eyes, reach in, grab one. That's what you're stuck with. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that that year was it was grapes, pine or uh, spruce tips, uh, a couple other uh, cucumber, something else that was pretty reasonable. Flaming hot Cheetos, just randomly, just out yep. middle of nowhere. <laughs> and you know what? Well, well, I won't ever do that. Do flaming hot Cheeto beer again? It wasn't as bad as you'd think. <laughs> hey, this year got a little crazy. I, we we pulled the safe choice of peanut butter, but there was paprika. There were warhead sour candies. Is all kinds of weird things. Absolutely. So, how in the world did you make a flaming hot Cheeto beer? Uh, well, flaming hot Cheetos—they're corn based. Uh, we figured, you know what? Me and my partner uh, Adam on this uh, brew, we figured, yeah, corn mashes. Uh, we'll just uh, we'll just throw it in when we do the grain mash. So you really, literally put that into the beer to help, obviously, get the flavor of everything. Absolutely, interesting. Uh, let me tell you, I've never seen a bright pink beer before. <laughs> Is that just from all the dyes and stuff they use oh, on yeah. the Cheetos? Yep. Because I mean, it's, it seems seems like those in Doritos are the worst. Like you grab those, and it's like there's like just nuclear stuff like stuck in your hand when you're done eating. Mm-hmm. Like I'm eating this. This probably isn't good. When I grab an orange, my hand doesn't look like that. And <laughs> this seems strange. I don't remember what we called it because there, that that competition lends itself to also picking a good name. I think it was Chester's Flaming Red or something. <laughs> it was uh, yeah. It was definitely uh, some red number forty swimming in there. <laughs> it made your beer pink. Yep. But you just you put it in your mash and you just went for it. I love it. That's Absolutely, great. I I like to bring half my spice cabinet with me, and I actually brought a couple habaneros too. So slit those, threw them in the boil, had a good time. So you're just trying to make it yeah. as spicy as possible, right? Oh, uh, you know, not unreasonable, but habanero uh, sounds pretty unreasonable to me. Uh, it doesn't cut through. You know, you get that, uh, you get all the yeast farting out the CO2. It's uh, a lot of the volatiles and flavors tend to also go into the air with it. Okay. So you, you lose it. Does, it doesn't bit. bring all the heat of everything. Exactly. Gotcha. If you really want the heat after, after the primary fermentation, you put that in another vessel with some peppers if you really want that heat. Okay. Because that'll keep more of it without the. Exactly. It's not uh, gassing off anymore. Exactly. But. Uh, Hey, that's a good time. My my group from Little Mountain, when we show up to that Iron Brewer event, we're, it's it's like we're tailgating, but also making beer. We, we have burners set up just to cook bacon and burgers and sandwiches. It's... <laughs> Again, it's it's more about the outing. It's more about being out there, and what you're doing yep. is fun. Being, and it's, yep. it's, it's a good time, and you're hoping to do well. It's competition, sure, but exactly. it's you're... more about just being there and the fellowship and everything else. Exactly. Being there with good friends, sharing good beer. Uh all kinds of stuff. Or pink beer. Yeah, or, <laughs> well, that day you bring your good beer, and then you taste the pink beer when you go back a month later for the judging. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, this year, though, I brought a uh, new Belgium hamperer and kind of stunk up the place. Uh-oh. That's uh, uh, to... Uh, pu- how, how did somebody put it best? That beer smells like a Grateful Dead concert. 
It's by New Belgium, made with hemp. It's uh, very, very odorous. <laughs> Smells like pot, huh? Exactly. <laughs> oh, always a good one to bring to parties just for the laughs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's walking around, I smell pot. Where's the pot? It's right here, dude. It's beer. Drinking it. <laughs> like, what? Oh, good times. Oh, that's pretty funny. Do so you have anything in the works right now? Anything crazy going on? Nothing really other than uh, that Jamaican. I got uh, a friend of mine came over last or a couple weeks ago, I think, to make a mead. So I sometimes get into mead. It's just uh, just honey. And uh, th- this was a blueberry mead, so we ground up some blueberries. Interesting. I've never heard of a blueberry mead, blueberry mead before. Mm. Mead's just another one of those things you can do whatever. Yeah. yeah I like to get into other fer- fermentables sometimes. I had a, I tried to reproduce a five thousand year old recipe a couple of years ago, and that actually turned out pretty well. How'd you find a five thousand year old recipe? Google. Google's had yeah, a. Just look I don't for think methods. I don't think it's been around for five thousand years. No. No, I don't think so. Well, it'll be around for another five thousand if they have their way, right? Uh, I don't know. We'll find yeah. out. <laughs> but uh, the, yeah, the Skynet might take over, and everything might get ruined by then. So who knows? Yeah, uh, Google will be Skynet. So yeah. What's, it's going to be them or Amazon. Yep, <laughs> it's one of the two. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I just kind of went from the, uh, I I read up on how they made it back then. So what was so so different about that compared to what we do like now? Well, first of all, they didn't know what hops were. Okay. And they didn't know what yeast was. And what they did was they would bake loaves of bread and then they'd, they'd let that sit in water. So I actually made a giant loaf of bread with a bunch of, area appropriate spices this is mesopotamia eh, not all right i'm overselling it by saying area appropriate as close as i could find fair enough so just You're a, trying to make it authentic if you could mm-hmm. but yet you gotta kind of do the best you can right so i made this five pound loaf of bread full of dates and various grains and spices and i i did i did do a modern method mash it with barley because you have to have a functioning beer out of it and Oh, actually, uh, before that, even I got four pounds of dates, made a date wine as something to start the fermentation. Okay. So I did that, added some lactic acid bacteria because they'd have it out in urns, so there'd be some sourness. But if you just try to let nature sour your beer, you never know what you're going to get. So I <laughs> used a, I used a good lab strain, Lacto Brevis. Uh, you can find it in your local probiotic aisle. Um, no, but really by the uh, by, by the uh, brewer's grade bacteria, please. Um, <laughs> and uh, just uh, went from there. Uh, had some stuck fermentation, so I just kept adding different types of yeast, just trying to get the damn thing to chew through. I think it was still a little on the sweet side when it was done, but okay, still pretty good and quite tart. So you used some of the methods that you could, but then had to obviously use some modern things to exactly. make sure it would come out and you could actually drink it. You weren't just going to ruin a whole batch of everything, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Yeah, you put in that much effort, you want to have something to show for it. Of course. I, I've, I've had batches go bad that I've worked hard on, where it's just, oh, this is oxidized or some type of wild yeast or bacteria that did the wrong thing, got in here. It's pretty common. It happens. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get a happy accident. uh uh, the Little Mountain Brewery, no affiliation with us. Uh, they 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 were a brew on premise place out in Kirtland, and now what's what's that? 
uh, brew on, you know, like a uh, uh, brew kettle where you can pay money and make a beer on their setup. They have a whole public setup there. Okay, so you can Much go rest. there, use their equipment, make beer, yep. and then you get to take it home and drink it. Exactly. Okay. So, so you they, don't have to buy all your own equipment. You still just, but you can make whatever you want. Yeah, you you, you give them the money, and then you have uh, fifteen. You have fifteen gallons or more to play with. So a friend of mine, a good good friend of mine, and I, we uh, made a Belgian triple with that guy's recipe because most of the time you make it with the house recipes, unless you know the guy and can say, "All right, just uh, this is what I want. How much are you going to charge me?" But we made that triple. And some type of lactic acid bacteria got in there. I tell you what, if you've ever had Victory's Sour Monkey, that' pretty damn close. It was it was <laughs> good. I mean, it was sour and wrongfully so, but it was actually good. So it was it was just a happy accident. Yeah, so it was not supposed to happen, mm-hmm. but it didn't ruin it. It just changed right. it. Exactly. Interesting. But. Although I bet you most times when something bad happens, it probably ruins it more than it makes it drinkable. And on the flip side, some breweries will take that beer that went bad and try to sell it, and it actually is not good. There have been a couple of those. Um, uh, Again, not going to name names because uh, (laughs) I'm not exactly a who's who, but I'm a recognizable face, and I don't want to really piss anybody off. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So when you're making your own beer, do you just kind of go back and forth between your own regular recipes? So you have the beers that you know are going to turn out well, you know you're going to like. Or are you kind of past that at this point where you're trying new things, always trying something different, want to tweak this, want to change that? What, what are you doing when, when you're making beer? A little both. I, I stick to my own recipes, but I'll go and just I'll look up the style guidelines or some examples just to see. Yeah, what uh, what should I have in there? But it's I've I've done a lot of repeats. I've got a I've got a wheat that usually goes over pretty well, good American wheat and stuff like that. I've done the Imperial Stout a few times to various uh, various uh, degrees of success. That that gold medal winner was the first time that ran, and it's the only time it's ever really been really good. Okay, I think I, I uh, lost one batch to under attenuation. Which means it was already bottled by the time the uh, yeast woke back up again and uh, blew up some bottles. Uh oh. Yeah, the uh, the carpet got dark that time. <laughs> I had another one where the uh, where I think some something else got in there, made it taste funny. I I I lost I lost batches to plastic equipment that was past its prime. And to, I will not ferment with uh, plastic anymore. Why is that? Just because it's so much pressure? Yeah, uh, it, it can get etched inside. Little get little pockets for uh, bacteria to hang out. I mean, you can only you can only scrub so well. But uh, your equipment gets old, gets uh, stained, all kinds of stuff. It's at some point your plastic just goes bad. Okay, so you, do you still? Use the plastic thing, just buy new stuff, or you've gone right to glass or metal. I, w- I went to glass, and actually, finally last Christmas, I got uh, got a nice seven gallon conical from the uh, father-in-law. Thank, thank you, uh, thank you, Jim. Uh, <laughs> he got me a seven seven gallon conical with a couple of valves on it. Really nice. And what's I guess I don't know what a conical is. What's that? Uh, it's like it's like what you see at. Uh, full brewery it has a cone on the bottom big cylinder 
foot with the cone on the bottom okay. so that the uh, yeast kind of bunches up in there and they can just drain out that yeast. Because you don't want your beer sitting on yeast for a long period of time. If you know, as a as a home brewer, if it sits on the primary for a month, that's fine. But if you're a big guy with with a ton of pressure at the bottom, eh, your uh, yeast is gonna gonna start autolyzing. That's where it breaks down, and uh, yeah, it puts all that pro- weird proteinness into your beer and spoils it. Okay. So that's uh, yeah, that's generally conical, but uh, much smaller scale. Very nice. Mm-hmm. So anything else coming up at all, or you got a batch going right now? Anything or? Uh, uh, I know the club, uh, next month we're going to do an off flavor tasting. You can actually order kits of, uh, compounds that gets into that, that's, that are in bad beer and add it to something neutral. I figure I'll go to Costco, get their, uh, mega pack of, of, uh, light beer and dose it with, dose the flavors in that. And we're going to taste it and just see, you know, this is what to look for. So I think that's that's a cool thing that's coming up. Oh, so explain that. I'm not understanding what you're talking about. So you're going to go get cheap beer, mm-hmm. and you're going to get ingredients to make cheap beer? Or we're going... You're going to you're like, you're you're make it? You're going to mix them together? What are you, you going to do with that? We're going to buy the uh, the lab-grade off-flavor compounds that are uh, that are made for tasting, and then we're going to put those compounds into the beer. These are these compounds are uh, off flavors, as in they're things that happen when you have an incomplete fermentation, you have an infection, you it it got oxidized, okay. stuff like that. So you're going to add that to beer, mm-hmm. so that way when you taste it, you can say, "Oh, this is what's going on." This right. is okay. And it's going to be a good neutral. So, so that's cheap more beer. of like a teaching thing. Exactly. So you can you can taste the beer and you can see what went wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's pretty cool. And in August, we're gonna do our uh, summer rebellion, where we bring in our biggest, heaviest stuff we can make. Because uh, I'm not a fan. I call this the uh, Dark Ages every year. <laughs> the Dark Ages. Yeah. If you li- if you listen to the uh, if you, you know if you listen to the cast about uh, me and working out, you'll know that I'm still a lazy guy. I like to stay indoors. I don't need a I don't need a lawnmower beer. <laughs> Just drink regular beer. What's wrong with that? Exactly. Don't run it through your lawnmower. It tastes like grass. Well, with some of these competitions and things, are they things that people who aren't involved in, can they come and check them out? Can they try different people's beers? Can they do all that kind of stuff? Is it like a little festival kind of thing? Or is it more of like a closed little niche thing that only the people who are brewing are kind of involved in? It It is a closed, very uh, niche thing. It's uh, the, the tasting is only for the judges. It's... Homebrew is still kind of in a legal gray area because it's mostly untaxed. So you'll get couple, you'll get certain events around town, but they tend to stay on the down low where people can go in and taste homebrew. But other than that, the competitions tend to be closed. That and you want uh, you want accredited people trying it. And if you're only opening a bottle at a time, it doesn't go very far. No, absolutely. Yeah. I just I didn't know if maybe. People could come and sample different things or try different mm-hmm. things, but if they want to do that, they kind of just need to get involved and just exactly kind of start brewing their own anyway, and then oh. just go ask questions and see what's going on. Right, and we, you know, there's always a need for volunteers. There's all kinds of competitions. Uh, uh, this group in uh, in in the Cleveland area, the Snobs, they run a very big competition. They actually run it at uh, the Fatheads Tap House. 
Uh, I don't know if they're going to go to the new place because uh, actually I think today is the last day for that tap house. Yeah. The uh, moving to a new location. Yep. So I don't know if they're if they'll be at the new place or not, but uh, it's a it's big. I think it's three hundred entries or something, and so that you know that's a good one to volunteer for. Uh, I know Akron area, a lot of uh, a lot of breweries popping up down that way. Yep, and a lot of groups that are also running competitions. If you want to make the drive to Pittsburgh, there's groups there. I'm sure they're kind of in most major cities. Let's Absolutely. be honest. Absolutely. All right, so where if somebody wants to get more involved and maybe get get around some of these competitions and ask questions and be around you guys and kind of pick your guys' brains, like where can they go to find out like more about your association and how to get more involved in homebrewing? Uh, they can look at the American Homebrewers Association page, find a club near them. Uh, if anybody is local to the uh, east side of Cleveland listening to this, we meet third third Monday of the month every month at uh, Willoughby Brewing Company. 7 p.m. But uh, and what's the name of your association again? Little Mountain Homebrewers Association. And they can find that where? Uh, they they can find uh, they can find it on our Facebook page. Uh, look us up. We have it. We have a uh, main page that hasn't been updated in a while, admittedly. But we also have a very active uh, closed group. Just uh, you know, just uh, apply for approval. As long as you don't look like a uh, bot, you'll we'll, we'll let you in. You know, if you're curious, want to start poking around, asking questions, we're uh, generally willing to talk about beer. I mean, it's always good to get some knowledge from somebody who's already been through and made the mistakes. So you don't have to make them yourself. Exactly. It's always a good idea. But but you will always make mistakes anyway. It's going to happen for yep. sure. <laughs> that one piece you forget to scrub is just going to turn it all into, uh, oh, what's another good off flavor? Dirty diaper. <laughs> that's uh, that's actually a legitimate categorized flavor. <laughs> oh, goodness. Not, not a flavor that I definitely want in my beer, but... Yeah. I guess that kind of stuff happens. That's why sanitation is super mm. important with the homebrewing. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap this one up. We're actually going to go down to the local brewery here in town and grab some beer and have some fun. So, Kirk, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And we will see you guys next time. All right, well, that wraps up another fun episode. I don't know what it is about alcohol, but I find it fascinating. So I was really looking forward to sitting down and talking with Kirk about beer. I I really enjoy learning about it. I've read some stuff. I've seen some documentaries, so I understand a little bit of it. But for someone who's actually been in the trenches and going in and fixing things and working on things and trying crazy stuff and screwing things up and like networking with different people and asking questions i think he's an excellent resource for for all things beer and it's definitely been uh, a lot of fun talking to him about it and i always enjoy (laughs) getting to taste his his new projects that's for sure well if you guys are still listening i still need your help we need to go out there and leave some five-star reviews on podbean itunes and stitcher so we can get the show out to new people I know we've got some new shows coming up that I'm looking forward to and going to be a lot of fun. And we've got some other guests going to be coming back onto the show, uh, hopefully to just kind of recap us and see where we're at, and we'll have a good time with that. Either way, it doesn't matter. So until then, you know, go out there and let's love each other and just make the best out of this beautiful thing called life. So we will see you guys next time on Uncensored Humanity. <laughs>